Welcome to the Muckle Teal Football Show. My name is Miles. The 49ers handle the Rams on Monday Night Football. They've taken seven of the last eight. Would be an eight-game winning streak if they had won the NFC title game. Uh, I I always enjoy Rams 49ers fans as an NFL fan because there's so much elite talent on the field. Even without Trent Williams, you know, there's Nick Bosa, there's Debo Samuel, there's George Kittle, there's Fred Warner, Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, Cooper Cup, Bobby Wagner. There's just so many good players on the field. As a Seahawks fan, though, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, these teams annoy me they annoy me you know the 49ers suck the rams suck I was texting with my dad and brother we resolved to root for a bench clearing brawl that leads to a double forfeit of shame that's what we were rooting for didn't happen though but damn is debo not good damn debo's good <laughs> deep his second quarter that uh that 57 yard touchdown that that was something special to watch. I mean, I know the tackling was bad, but I roll my eyes at Jimmy Garoppolo, who's going to get credit for a 57-yard touchdown, who basically threw a pick six. The only reason it wasn't a pick six is because it was inaccurate, and he airmailed it over even Debo's head. So Debo jumps up for the catch, breaks like breaks or runs away from like five different Rams defenders. Insane. Later, people casually casually talk about Jimmy Garoppolo in a 57-yard touchdown down pass in his stats there after the Debo touchdown there's a shot of Jerry Rice nice bow tie pointing pointing uh, presumably at Debo enjoying it sipping what looked to me to be like a nice cold rum and coke Jerry enjoying California retirement Debo touchdown number 23 of his four-year career just 185 to go to get to Jerry Rice thought maybe the Rams would have a chance today I did pick them that their offense just lacked bite. You know, they were settling for field goals, three field goals and three red zone trips. Um, It reminds me of the whole middle of the last season. Why is Cam Akers playing football? He sucks. I said this in week one. Now I say it in week four. I said it all playoffs. I mean, I get it. He's coming back from injury. It's a great story. He sucks. Um. I guess the be- the best thing that happened to the Rams was Bobby Wagner's tackle on. He had a lot of tackles today, but he tackled some random guy in the field with pink smoke running around. <laughs> Mina Kimes tweeted like, was that a gender reveal? And if it was, <laughs> so help me. <laughs> so help us all. If that was a gender reveal, you don't need gender reveals. That's my, my PSA on that. Uh, the 49ers. Again, that same type of September-October game that they just tend to have. These dominating run games. These controlling, settling for field goals for some reason, but just dominating with with angles and and power and just cool stuff. Um, but why Kyle Shanahan loves kicking field goals um, in in negative uh percentages i i don't know i hope i hope that kyle shanahan's random conservatism never comes back to haunt him in the form of blowing any big leads or anything like two super bowls i hope it never happens 
for a third time. <laughs> uh, but the play of the game, of course, came. Uh, uh, Matt Stafford gets the ball after Shanahan. They, they did another field goal. That, that was an okay decision. They did a field goal. Gold pulled it left. The Rams have it with, they're down eight, 630 left to go. And you think, okay, Rams got a shot here. And Matt Stafford, who had hyper-targeted Cooper Cup all night, sent the 16th target Cooper Cup's way, and it is intercepted by Talanoa Hufunga, Hufunga, who was just hanging back. And once that ball left Stafford's hands, he sprinted towards that ball. That wasn't a reaction to the play. He was waiting for Stafford to throw it. And then the quickness to once it left Stafford's hand to close that gap and jump in front of Cooper Cup. Great play. Fabulous safety play from Talanoa Hufunga, uh, who people are all you know, saying, oh, Troy Palomalo, Troy Palomalo, you know. Um, I do. I think, yes. I mean, there's definitely a lot of similarities. The hair, the fact that he went to USC, the fact that he's a safety, the fact that he's one of these anticipatory safeties. You know, I think Hufunga, though, he he's not a Palomalu clone necessarily. Palomalu was like a blue chip prospect first rounder, like you know, drafted in the in the middle of the first round, two thousand three. Hufunga is an even better story. He came out of nowhere. He was a fifth rounder in last last year's draft. He's on special teams. He was the one who scored that that uh, punt block touchdown in the divisional championship in the snow uh, against the Packers in the playoffs there while he was a rookie. So we'll see what Hufunga can do. Jimmy Ward's coming back. They're going to have too many safeties. I don't know. I don't know. Um, And then just last thing on Monday night football, before we get to winners and losers of week four, Troy Aikman (laughs) as the, as the 49ers winded down the game, the shout out to the Don Meredith tradition of singing the Willie, Willie Nelson song. Turn out the lights. The party's over. They say that all good things must end. Just, I loved that. Partly because it just reminded me of, you know, my mom and my grandma and just the, the, I mean, the Muckleteal football show is based off of those, you know, Monday night football nights. And I wasn't alive for Don Meredith announcing Monday night football, but I know that that was really important. I remember mom singing that multiple times, uh, especially when we were really into Monday night football, like the late nineties, early two thousands to turn out the lights, the party's over. <laughs> uh, so thank you, Troy Aikman for reminding me of that. I love that. He brought that back to Monday night football. All right, welcome to Muckle Teal Football Show. Show us football everything, NFL history, legacy, the ups and downs of a season. Follow us on Twitter at M-U-K underscore football on Twitter at M-U-K underscore football. Subscribe, share, review on Apple, Spotify, Anchor, wherever you get your podcasts. We have shows Monday after Monday Night Football, Thursday after Thursday Night Football, and Sunday after Sunday Night Football. And week four is in the books. Let's talk some winners and losers. Reminder to check out the Sunday show yesterday where I reviewed Sunday Night Football, gave out some Sunday best awards, and I created a team, a quarterback, running back, receiver, defense, play of the day, meme of the day. Uh, but now we're going to just dive into a couple of couple of winners, couple of losers. And I want to give a bonus winner, keeping on the music theme, the NBC ads 
for uh, Pat Mahomes versus Brady singing Neil Young's old man. Take a look at my life. I'm a lot like you. I loved that. It was so good. Even if this game ended up being more like Todd Bowles and Tom Brady singing helpless, helpless, helpless. I'm singing along a lot on this, uh, this show, but that's okay. Let's get to the winners. Well, Jared Goff, Detroit Lions quarterback, sub-winner to Geno Smith, Seahawks quarterbacks, the real winner. I mean, they put on a show, the 16th, tied for 16th highest scoring game in NFL history, was between Detroit Lion Jared Goff and Seahawk Geno Smith. Amazing. <laughs> And Jared Goff has been been a part of this is why Goff is the sub winner, but Goff has been part of three of the highest scoring or three of the top 16 highest scoring football games of all time. He was part of the Kansas City Rams Monday Night Football in 2018. Then remember the next year, 2019, there's a random year where random game where Jameis Winston uh, Bucks versus the the Goff Rams like 55 to 40. The Bucks won. Um I mean, Goff has lost all three of these games and also contributed to the high score the other way by throwing pick sixes and fumble sixes. But Geno Smith and the Seahawks, that's the revelation here. They were efficient. They were uh, accurate, uh, as Geno Smith has been all all game, all season long. Anthony, my friend, uh, (laughs) said that he could do it. Apparently, he can. I thought Geno Smith couldn't do anything past the line of scrimmage suddenly. And yes, these guys are wide open, but he's still making the throws. Suddenly Geno's hitting these deep bombs downfield, these out routes, these deep 15 yard out routes, just, you know, wonderful. I know the Lions defense sucks, but still no one else scored 48 on them. Just very impressive by Geno Smith and the Seahawks. I'm sure we'll come back down to earth. This is concerning for Russell Wilson and the Broncos that this is happening because the whole narrative is that Russell Wilson was supposed to cook and, you know, kind of the the counter narrative is that Russell Wilson, you know, was going rogue and and wasn't following the offense. You know, he wanted Shane Waldron, but then Shane, then he didn't like the offense because Russell Wilson didn't understand what offense he was really asking for. And Russell Wilson, I mean, thinks he's Jay-Z and that Ciara's Beyonce, you know, he's living in his own world all the time. So I'm just saying it's possible and Russell Wilson was in the wrong this whole time. <laughs> this is a week for it. This is a week for it. All right, next winner. London. London calling. They got the exciting game that they've wanted for a while. Not just a close game with a lot of big plays, but a close game with a bunch of kicking. Because for some, for some reason, the London crowds, and this has been that way since we they first the NFL first started going there. The London crowd loves field goals and loves extra points. They cheer so much for that stuff. And then we got this with the saints getting a fourth and nine with Andy Dalton and uh, opting to do a 60 yard field goal. Will Lutz nails it. Minnesota gets the ball. They go down the field. They hit their own game winning kick, which was dramatic. Of course they, they got there with the help of the refs, but whatever. And the Saints get the ball again, and they do another long kick, a 61-yard attempt in the most dramatic finish I have ever seen. This double doink was 
more soul crushing than the Bears Eagles one, at least in terms of the the physics of the doink. Bears one obviously is worse because it was actually a wild card game, but it I cannot understand how that ball didn't go in. The slow motion of it hitting the first post and then hitting the crossbar, both times it looks like it's going to go in. I just can't fathom how it didn't. I brought my wife in to, to look at it on slow motion, like watch. I actually paused it and went back. Um, so London gets a win, a great game. Uh, their second great game from Andy Dalton and Kirk Cousins, by the way. Uh, there was a 2017 or 2016 game where Andy Dalton, who was playing for the, the Bengals and Kirk Cousins, who was playing for the Washington Redskins, then Washington football team, now Washington Commanders, whatever. But they had a like, great like 27-27 game that actually ended in a tie. Another thing that London people love because soccer tying is like good somehow. I don't know. I'll let it go. Next winner. The Chargers. Chargers avoid implosion with the opposite of what happened last year, where we thought the Chargers uh, were really good and they went to play the Texans and then they got blown out by the Texans Texans inexplicably in week 16. This year, the Chargers, we think they're done. We think they're toast and they actually beat the Texans this time handedly. I mean, they gave a comeback. There was some scary stuff there, but they, you know, they handle them and Houston continues their bounce back tour they are the bounce back house or the bouncy house of the mattress with which teams are using to bounce back week two the broncos needed the texans they got texans got those broncos a win week three the bears after taking a thumping against the packers they needed to bounce back texans gave them that win and now the chargers after all the injuries and all the doubt they needed a bounce back win the texans delivered thank you houston texans all right let's get to the losers Well, you know what's coming. There's got to be some level of talk about the John Harbaugh Ravens decision and just the I'll throw in just the old CBS halftime crew who literally spent a whole halftime not showing highlights, but just getting a chance to talk down to analytics. So John Harbaugh tied 20 to 20 at the two yard line with a little bit of time left to go in the fourth quarter. There's a couple minutes left. He elected to go for it on fourth down instead of a field goal. So he would have gone up 23 to 20. And the the CBS, you know, old fogies, of course, are are just railing on this. They used it to talk down because they they accept that it's pure destiny that the ball would was going to be intercepted, that the ball is going to be a touchback, that the Bills were going to drive the length of the field. That's that's just pure destiny. And then they pivot to a new hypothetical game where the Ravens take the field goal. And that same defense holds the bills just fine because you're trusting them. It's, it's just so wrong, but I don't have an issue with putting the game into Lamar Jackson's hands. I think it was a city, shitty position to begin with. You know, Baltimore couldn't score. They got like their, they were at 20 points since like the beginning of the second quarter. John Harbaugh is also a loser here because his analytical explanation doesn't hold water to me. You know, I think I agree with, I agree, put the ball in Lamar Jackson's hands, but John Harbaugh, don't try and pretend like the numbers like purely say that, you know, I, we are all taking, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. The numbers need to be interpreted by human meat bags. 
The models are made by human meat bags. <laughs> we are all still figuring out how these numbers translate to football actions on the field. Some things are convincingly adopted. A lot of other things are in flux. I just hate that we talk, we talk about analytics like it's some sentient being with which we, analytics B. Jones says to do this, but I stand with my constituents and I say, nay, nay, analytics. You know, I am certain that the, there's a way to make the numbers look good for and against John Harbaugh's decision. It's about risk and reward, right? You know, what is the best analytical decision? Is it the one with the least risk or is it the one with the highest ceiling? Even that, you've already taken a, taken a, a path, two different paths, because you had to make that decision as a human meatbag. Reminds me of the Rays pulling Blake Snell in game six of the World Series. They did the proven analytical thing for the highest floor. If they did that 90,000 times, they win the World Series more often than they lose. But they brought in lesser pitchers than Blake Snell. And analytics shows that too. They show that they were taking a bigger risk because Snell was a better player. It does show that. The numbers show that too. Taking a better risk for a higher ceiling. It just... One of my pet peeves, and I, I don't know if that all made sense, but let's continue with the losers. Well, the Steelers. The Steelers are in a quarterback uh, situation here. First, and most people are saying like, oh, why did they s insist on Mitch Trubisky? They had this 10-day rest period from Thursday Night Football to in week three to Sunday night uh, in week four. And they were like, Mike Tomlin's like, how dare you even ask about it? Mitch Trubisky's our guy. Then he saw one more half and was like, it's picket time. So that's why we asked about it, Tomlin. <laughs> that's why we asked about it. But I just don't believe in Kenny Pickett. You know, I just think the Steelers are just losers no matter what. Pickett comes in, throws three interceptions, looks worse than it did. One of them's a Hail Mary. One of them is, you could argue, a catchable ball on his first throw. Yeah, I don't know. But he did have some mobility. But he also blew the lead to the Jets. And I have, I'm a Kenny Pickett doubter. I believe that Kenny Pickett is what happens if a, if a super-duper senior gets to play college football. I mean, his actual junior and senior year, he had 38 touchdowns and 24 interceptions in 35 games. Then because of COVID, he got this bonus year that no other quarterback has ever gotten. And that's the year he does good. All right. Next, next loser. And then we'll go to sleep. The Colts. The Indianapolis Colts beat the Chiefs in week three. Everybody spent a week kind of trying to explain how exactly the Colts beat the Chiefs. <laughs> um, it was a, a series of unfortunate events, basically, for the Chiefs. This was the conclusion. Now they sandwich their, their upset of the Chiefs with a dud against Jacksonville and a dud against Tennessee, divisional rivals here in week two and four. And it's, it's looking bad for the Colts now at one, two and one. And, you know, you got to expect that they'll start tanking here because uh, the Ursays are in charge and, you know, there's some good quarterbacks in the 2023 class. They did it for 98 Peyton. They did it for 2012 luck. Will they be doing it for 2023 Bryce Young or CJ Stroud or who, who, who's the top quarterback right now? I'll, I'll have to look that up and get back to you. It's week four of the NFL season. I'm, I'm not plugged in yet, but 
That is it. Thanks for tuning in. Muckle Teal Football Show. My name is Miles. Have a good night. See you Thursday.